from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to the Wow Report. Um, where we count down the top 10 things in the past week that made us go wow. Um, I'm Fender Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder. Very excited to have with us this week, Tom Campbell. It's been eternity. It's been too long. I love that you're a regular, but you go away, you become a guest again. I love it. I love the (laughs) absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's what they say. And so, Tom, you're our chief creative officer. And, of course, Jane St. James, editor of The Wow Reports. Who never leaves, and the heart it grows colder and colder it's every a, time you see me. It's, a, <laughs> it's like the first time every time, James. Um, so today, September 25th, it's Native American Day, um, a day in honor of Native Americans who, you know, were here before us, uh, whose land this belongs to. And um, you can celebrate Native American Day by watching... Miss Navajo, Grab, and Red Lake, three documentaries by uh, Billy Luther, talented WoW celebrity, on WoW Presents Plus. All right, so let's start with the countdown. Let's leap in at number 10. Number 10. I want to talk about the new Drew Barrymore show. Has anyone seen it or seen clips of it? I have seen clips of it. It is madness. It is utter bananas. Crazy, 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 crazy fans. Syndication is a crazy business. Let's just start there. Macro for a minute. Okay. You know, I worked on The View, which is not syndication, but it turned me, you know, at the very beginning, it turned me into sort of a, have a, a sensitivity for that world. You have to be such a big name and so important and, all, and have all these skill sets, and you have to land day one and be great. And can I say, Drew Barrymore has all of the, of the, of the former, but not a lot of the latter. And the thing is, you know why they invest. It takes millions of dollars. You know why they invest in her. Everyone loves Drew Barrymore. I still do. Everybody loves her persona. She's such a sweet person. She has nice things. She's she knows young. everybody in Hollywood and has known everybody from A to Z, A yeah. list to Z list. Yes. So and you think she's so a trainer. And not pretentious. And so, you know, bravely in the, in the midst of COVID, they open her show. Um, she... See, her her default seems to be super hyperness, you know, which I totally relate to, which is why I'm not my own show. Um, I have you guys to anchor me down, to tether me to the world. Um, there's glimmers of hope. I mean, the first couple of days were so bad that they're really worth watching. By the second day, I feel like, again, this is why I can't really trash Drew. I feel like by the second day, she had read the reviews, too, and was like, I just hope I get to do this for a little bit. Like, she's ready to be canceled already. She's so, she's so <laughs> um uh, recently, I saw some. There's some signs of hope, but you know, she brought. Uh, she has Drew's news, which, which I saw the the snake one, which she just sort of shrieked her way through, and no, not one joke landed, and yet she kept barreling on and on and on, and it was yeah. uncomfortable, and yet it it should work. I mean, it there. It's like the news of the weird stuff that we do here. These are stories that should land. Yes. And, and it doesn't it appear to you that Drew is doing everything everyone asks of her? Like, you don't get that she's not cooperating. Like, she is trying her hardest, maybe a little too hard. Yeah, yeah. And the, the shriekiness is probably a problem where she screams a little too much. And it is probably endearing when you are in, in her company, but somehow it doesn't translate onto film. Do you know, 
the shrieking though is the heap of expectations, just like sort of turbo. You know, kind of like small screen, big impact. Like a you know shriek. Yeah, a little bit. And and Ross Matthews, I think, has done a guest spot. I think he might be doing some more where he kind of contributes, and that's kind of fun because he's lovely. She talked a lot during that too. But um, I, 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 you know what? You, 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 these things are not made in a day. I'm sure there's a big investment on Mr. Drew Barrymore. Um, and so I'm sure, I'm sure they'll, they'll keep trying, but boy, that's a hard thing to do. And yeah. Who's producing it? Who's behind it? What's the, is it? Well, it's, 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 it's the people at Sony. It's Sony. Okay. You know, I've, I've had many, 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 many run-ins with Drew over the years. Oh, um, from when she was a very young girl uh, um, and we hung out at the limelight many times to when she was in her sloppy phase and I was in my sloppy phase to uh, she was one of the producers of Freak Show. And so um, I have known her from wild child to, you know, uh, the managing, uh, you know, professional woman that she is today. And she's always, she's an interesting woman and I, I love her to death and I hope for the best for this. Um, it's hard to go up against Kelly Clarkson, which she's opposite, isn't she? They're in the same markets. I don't know if they're right next to each other, maybe in LA. I, I watch online. The one interview I will point out, which you should watch because it's fascinating for some of the right reasons, is that she had an interview with Paris Hilton, who she's known her whole life. Oh, yeah, sure. They were talking about that they were both kind of institutionalized as teenagers. They were kind of nabbed and brought away and brought to a oh. camp that gave Drew some solace and I guess left a real scar, emotional scars on Paris. So, Again, that's a great story, and that's a great get, and that's a great confession. So we'll see how Drew does. I don't want, I can't hate Drew, but boy, no. hard to launch a talk show. She's still extraordinarily young, though, right? I mean, James, if James remembers hanging out with her when she was like an underage little thing, she must be. She's probably in her early forties, probably forty-three, forty-four-ish, maybe. Drew and I are the same age. <laughs> All right, well, good luck, Drew. Uh, let's go on to number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Um, I watched Filthy Rich on uh, the, on Fox. Did you watch it too? Yeah. It's the new nighttime soap opera starring Kim Cattrall, and she's in her Morgan Fairchild, Joan Croft, uh, Joan Collins, Donna Mills sort of grand dame era. Um, she plays the matriarch of a. Uh, Louisiana televangelism family. They've made their billions off of the backs of the, the Christian, her Christian fans. And um, it's, it's fun. What did you think? Give, give me, give me your quick uh, take. I, my friend Abe works on it. So I'm slightly prejudiced. Okay. I, I watched the pilot and the first second, the second episode. Cause they're on demand. Yeah. yeah. A lot better in the second episode. Well, that's what I was hoping for, because the, well, the thing is, the, the plot is basically that um, the father goes down in, a, in an airplane accident and is supposedly killed and is MIA. And they read his will and come to find out that he has three illegitimate children from three different women. And the girl works at a sexy webcam in Los Angeles. The guy works at a pot dispensary in uh, uh, Denver. And the yeah. other guy is a former gangbanger in New York. Uh, so they all come together and they're going to try and sort of build the family of the fortune. And uh, they all, I think, end up working for the family and they all sort of find, come together, whatever. Yes. I thought Kim Cattrall 
her, that accent kept coming and going. God bless her. Sometimes she was, she was Georgia, Sometimes she was Southern. Sometimes she was French. I didn't know what the hell she was doing. And it seemed like she was dubbed. It seemed like they dubbed her. There was well, a couple moments, perhaps. But, you know, it's pilots. People overdo things. I say this. I say this with love. We, If we were up against them in the wig category for RuPaul's Drag Race, we'd have some competition because Miss Kim Cattrall is sporting a several number of wig styles. Yes, yes. Um, it's, I think the whole idea of televangelism uh, is ripe to be dissected in 2020, the idea of bilking people and religious extremists and all that stuff, and, and how much of it is phony and how much of it is real and who believes what. I think all of that is fascinating if they go in that direction. Um, I don't know that if, I don't know that Fox was the right place for it. I wish that it was on vh1 or tbs or something i think someone could have gotten a little more gone a little further i don't know i'm not sure i am going to keep giving it a, a, a look-see though is the matriarch are they still in the televangelism business is the yeah. matriarch yes. the yes. they, they have a television station in which they preach and sing gospel and, and sell crap sunshine uh, network and it's the sunshine network and they were launching right when the dad died they were launching basically um uh, Amazon. It's like, you know, they're all eating fried chicken at the table. Like, mm, won't you get some of our sunshine chicken? You know, like in other words, spend all your money on us. So yes. they're tapping into all the zeitgeisty stuff. It's a little uh, desperate housewives, especially yeah. as on, there's more of a narration and people come in and out and they, it comes a little bit. The second episode is narrated by the, uh, the, the, the daughter. Cause there's a son and a daughter who grown up with the televangelism. There are so many avenues they really set it up nice because the same thing. I'm so old fashioned, but, you know, it takes a long time to get a syndicated show going. If yeah. people have patience and serialized things used to take time, too. You don't you don't have that luxury anymore. So they are throwing stuff against the wall. And, and you know, I mean, you know me, you know, I have to fall in love with a couple of the kid with one of the two of the boys yeah. on the shows. And I, I, there's potential for the for the Latino boy. There's potential for the for the young Christian boy. I, I don't I'm not quite there yet, but I have a feeling that I could be. The pot boy is kind of cute too. Who is the actor who plays the pot son? Oh, okay, okay. I, we I have will... a major twist reveal in two, but I'm not going to give it away. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, Filthy Rich on Mondays at 9 p.m. on Fox. James, I have um, a hot guy for you to fall in love with in a series I'm going to talk about a little bit later in the show. Oh, is so this the octopus get... one? You have to stick around. Okay, okay, okay. So number eight, appropriately enough. Number eight. My Octopus Teacher. Get it? Number eight. Uh, yeah. Okay. Have you seen it on Netflix? I, I have seen the, the preview for it. I mean, I've seen the trailer for it, and I've seen people going bananas on Twitter about it, saying that it's just life-changing and life-affirming and wonderful. I'm going to make a prediction right here, right now. It's going to win the Oscar for Best Documentary. No okay. question. It's the new uh, March of the Penguins. Remember March of the Penguins? But I think this is better than March the Penguin. It is such a beautiful love story between a man <laughs> and a little octopus. Um, he, um, uh, Craig Forrest, he works on natural history documentaries, and he's with the Maasai in Africa. And he suddenly sort of realizes that he's completely disconnected from the natural world. He returns to his childhood home, which happens to be 
on um oh, where is it where Cape is it corn right in south Winter africa storms. yes the very southern tip of south africa where the water is incredibly rough endless storms it's about six or seven degrees centigrade i don't know what that is in fahrenheit it's cold you wouldn't get me in it he goes swimming without a wetsuit and Anyway, long story short, wait, wait, but isn't this like, aren't there more great whites right off the coast of, of Cape Horn right there? Isn't this like an incredibly dangerous place to be diving? I think so. Um, there's definitely pajama sharks who play a major role in this because they're the number one predator of octopi. Oh. And he goes swimming and he discovers in this little sheltered area an octopus. And it is the most beautiful, jaw-dropping. It, it's like... It's like nothing I've seen before in my life. And it is so stunningly, beautifully photographed, which I guess maybe you expect, but it's not easy to film underwater and capture all the story points. There's a great moment when the little octopus gets attacked by a pajama shark and loses one of its arm, one of its tentacles. And you're like, <gasps> and the whole thing is so brilliantly filmed. Octopuses, by the way. They're well, they aren't, they aren't of this world. They are aliens. We know that. They are. There is nothing earthly about them. Yes, they're so strange. Like, one of the things is um, two-thirds of their cognition is outside of their brain. They'll have 2,000 little suckers. Each one operates independently. It's like a little brain. And so when that little tentacle goes, it's feeling you it's smelling you it's tasting you it's like <laughs> and it, the whole thing is so sensual but not i i don't want to there's no you know there's but no, they, they strike up a real friendship and they real understanding oh, between each other right they really do and the, it, it, it's it's a beautiful love story and one of the things about octopi is that they actually don't live for very long and so spoiler alert kind of I think everybody knows how this ends. You know, Palamari, Palamari. <laughs> Have Kleenex at close hand. But I, you know, I hate things that make me cry. I really just, you know, want to avoid that at all possible costs. You are a black-hearted fiend. I am. But I was happy to watch this because it was sort of a happy, a happy tear. You know, like sometimes I think TV shows or they just want to make you cry because they want to like savage you and traumatize you. This was. These were happy tears. I mean, it was truly sad, moving, but but also happy tears. There are no moments of breathtaking beauty. I will just add one thing about octopuses, or octopi, I should say. Do you know that they can attack a shellfish, like a, a mollusk or something, and they can drill a hole? They can actually drill a hole in the shell. They have a little spike inside them, can come out, drill a hole in the shell, and land it precisely so that it disables the mollusk inside the shell. I mean, that's just one of the many things that these space aliens can do. And now, do you think you're going to get yourself a, a pet octopus? Is that something I, on your bucket list now? I can never eat octopus again in my life. Oh. And I could never have a pet. It would be far too cruel. To see the way, actually, to see the way they can move and then assume the color and texture of whatever they've moved, it's... It's jaw-dropping, and I know we all learned this in school, that they can do this, but when you actually see it and you're like, oh, my God, this thing just became this rock, this, you're like, how do they do that? And you'll, you'll be in love with octopi. I mean, it's just... Well, they, they are they are either aliens or they are from the future or they are shape There is something about them that is just weird and crazy. 
it is it is really the most amazing thing. Um, uh, oh, and the other thing is it, it's beautifully photographed, but the sound, underwater sound, so every grain mm. of sand and the mm. sound of the shells. You know um, the Disney film Inside Out where they have the they're in the mind and they have those glass shells and they make such a, an amazing noise. The sound is, you know, that ASMR thing. I, I tell you, I haven't seen anything like it in my life. Um, so my octopus teacher is streaming on Netflix. Can uh, I to say eight, eight, eight thumbs up? Eight yeah. thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Every tentacle. Uh, Blake, you got a question for us? Because we'll take a break. I do have a question. Who was, the, young, who was the youngest person ever to host SNL? And how old were they? All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll have the answer right after the break. Uh, you're listening to The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey here with Tom Campbell, James St. James, and Blake, of course. We're counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. And before the break, we had a question. Yeah, who was the youngest person ever host SNL and how old were they? Well, it's not going to be Drew. Is it going to be like Justin Henry or Gary Coleman or something? What do you say, Tom? I think it's Drew Barrymore and I hate numbers, but I'm going to say she was eight. I'm going with Tom's answer. It's Drew Barrymore. She was seven. Seven! (laughs) I remember that episode, too. I remember she came out in that little white dress. Drew Barrymore, she's been in every every moment of our lives. It's true. Let's keep counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow this week. Number seven, Tom. Number seven. You will rarely hear me reference anything remotely professional sports-like, so please take note today. Um, Gail Sayers passed away at, I believe, 77 years old. Gail Sayers, Sayers was an amazing football player, played for the Chicago Bears. You know him being St. James because he wrote a book called I Am Third, which was turned into a blockbuster TV movie in 1971 that introduced uh, James Caan and Billy Dee Williams' Brian Song. Brian Song, sure, yeah, okay. Bears was the character that Billy Dee Williams played. And it just, you know, I I realized, I don't know much about Gail Gail Sayers. I was reading about him. He He was a very, very talented backfield running catching person um and uh gail you know have you ever heard of uh, brian's song fenton growing up in the uk it's brian piccolo or something right wasn't yeah. he a football player who yeah. died yes and and the story is that that gail series is, is a black man brian piccolo is a white man they were the first integrated roommates in the nfl or in, in the chicago bears and so it was you know they got threats on both sides and all that kind of stuff but they became fast and furious friends. I think it was like 65. By 1969, um, Brian Piccolo was discovered. And Brian Pic- and Gail Sayers was the much better player. But Brian Piccolo just was like, you could not shake this kid. He was just like fast and furious. And it turns out, and and, and the, the movie starts, I watched Brian's song last night. Oh. It's like driving a vintage car. It's like, it doesn't have any of the, of, of the cushioning or airbag, you know, it's, it's like gutted, but it's a thing of beauty because it is a tearjerker. It is the movie that most 
it was like the, a movie about it's one of the best movies about sports, presumably, and it's a movie that made grown men cry. Yes, yeah. And Brian Piccolo, you, Gail Sayers seems like he needs the help. He's kind of socially awkward, and Brian's is outgoing. And it turns out that Brian gets uh, a cancer, and and is devastated by it. And is dead by the time he's twenty six. And Gail Sayers at the end of the season gets this award. The movie starts this way. And he says, this is a movie, you know, and it's, and it's Billy D. Williams, the movie star. But the first time we ever saw him as Americans, so the sexy, sort of laconic black man saying, um, uh, um, um, says, you know, that this really belongs to Brian Piccolo. And in the book, his speech was, God is first, Brian Piccolo is second, and I am third. And I used to <laughs> that thing, I know. And at the end, you know, he dies and he's, and it's James Caan. Also, we hadn't seen this before, The Godfather, you know, just sexy, vibrant, beginning of the queer guys. And James Caan does an amazing job. And at the end, it's like he's dying in a bed and it's the sad scene. And, um, and, uh, and, and they cut to like, he's, he's on his deathbed and, and he's hugging his wife, he's crying. And they just smash cut to this, earlier footage of them running in slow motion, trying to outdo each other. And they said, Brian Piccolo died at 26 years old. He left behind a wife, children, and friends all over the world. But when they think of him, they don't think of how he died, but how he lived. <laughs> lived. And whoosh. And so Gail Sayre had an amazing career. Uh, and, and, and the impact of that uh, movie, which I think, you know, in between your Russian uh, binges, Fenton, you might want to free on YouTube, Brian's song. And remember, it's stripped down. But it, it's Barry Diller was the executive at the network. Uh, it was the first uh, Wit Thomas who went out to do the Golden Girls and all that. Tony uh, Thomas or it was just it was a little moment. I, did a, I went into a deep wormhole about it last night. But uh, rest in peace, Kelsey. Thank you for your contribution to your life. And thank you for Brian's song. Just had to say, Blake asks if it's better than the ice skating classic, The Cutting Edge. I won't go there. I don't. I, I, I defend my Brian song. Not today. Not on today. What about Ice Castles? <laughs> also good. What about uh, Blades of Glory? I'm not. Again, I'm not here to defend myself. I mean, I, well, I would put it up there with Love Story. Is one of those early '70s tearjerker thing, you know? And the TV movie of the week was still a very new yeah. thing, and so yeah. you and it just wrenches you the other fun thing i was listening to um um it's also len goldberg who ended up partnering with aaron spelling he was the producer of it and he said everybody was recorded saying they they loved the material they loved the acting they loved the dailies and then they watched the footage and they hated it they all were sick to their stomachs they saw the first cut and they said never trust the first cut they said but they they framed it a they bought they they, they got acquired more nfl footage so you actually see gail fairs and all his glory and all this kind of stuff and they also set up the beginning. They said this. They said this is a story about you know a black man. They say a white man. He goes, uh, uh, I can't remember who they quoted, but it's sort of like Shakespeare once said, and it's not Shakespeare that uh, all true stories end in death. This is a true story. It's just like ah. they framed it at the beginning. They framed it at the end, and it's all about storytelling, right? And we do that all the time. <laughs> anyway, it, it was. Uh, I got into a deep wormhole last night. I loved every minute. Song. I'm going to watch it. Thanks. All right. Number six, James. Number six. 
Six, I have seen the best movie of 2020. I cannot rave enough about this on Netflix. The devil all the time, okay? And I know there haven't been a lot of movies in 2020, so there's not a lot to compare to. But there are some performances in this that are definite nomination worthy right here. It is one of the one of the performance right just off the bat is Robert Pattinson, who is just destined for he's he's the new Meryl Streep as far as I'm concerned. He's as his his accents in every movie lately are brilliant. This is it's the early 50s in backwoods, West Virginia. Okay, you have a bunch of different storylines going on. You have Bill Skarsgård, who is my favorite Skarsgård. I love him more than life itself. You have Tom Holland who was Spider-Man, right? Is Spider-Man in all the, the movies. And he is showing heretofore unseen depth of character. He is an actor's actor, and he is fantastic. He plays a young man who's sort of scarred by violence. He had a very violent and traumatic childhood, and it sort of it, it catches up with him in very unsuspecting ways. You have um, uh, 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 Robert Pattinson, who plays a molesty preacher, a creepy molesty preacher who is seducing all the young girls in his parish. And he is just, he makes your skin crawl. He's so good. He doesn't have much screen time, but when he's on, it's just, he dominates the screen. It's unbelievable. Then you have Riley Keough, Elvis's granddaughter, and Jason Clark, and they play a pair of serial killers who troll up and down the highway looking for um, hitchhikers, and then she has sex with them while the husband takes the pictures, and then afterwards they mutilate them and chop them up and and throw them and bury them. And then you also have um, Sebastian Stan from uh, Captain Marvel, and he's uh, he plays a sort of a crooked deputy who's trying to win the sheriff. And so you have all these different plot lines that you know have to converge somehow. And you know that if they chop up uh, uh, hitchhikers, you know someone has to go hitchhiking at some point. Uh, you know, Tom Holland gets a gun for his birthday and Chekhov's dictum says, if you get it in the first act, it has to go off by the third act. So you know what's coming, but when it does come, it is just mind-blowing. It's two and a half hours long, and it is an investment because it's slow burn, but you are never bored. And when I tell you Riley Keough is is Oscar-bound and Robert Pattinson, you have to believe me on that. It is absolutely fantastic. It's based on a book by Donald Ray Potluck, and he is the narrator which is sort of, which is an odd thing to do because that's not since Truman Capote have they let writers narrate. I like that. It's not a true story then, James. I don't, I, I don't know if it's based on his childhood and people he knew or something, but it was a very famous sort of thriller book a few years ago, I guess. Sounds like it'll make a great musical someday. <laughs> But uh, just if you watch it for nothing else, the Robert Pattinson and, and Riley Keough, it is. And Tom Holland. And they're all everybody in it is just spectacular. Um, Mia Wisikowski or, or, or something. She's an actress as actress. She's in it as well. Um, uh, Jason Clark. Oh, it's just it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, oh it's it produced by Jake Gyllenhaal, too. And um, Jake. uh as we know, if you follow the blogs or Twitter, he and Tom Holland are besties. They're best Judies. And I'm not saying there's anything gay between them, but if there was something a little gay between them, I would not be surprised. 
Um, and so you, so Jake purposely went out of his way to find uh, uh, something for Tom to do that would really showcase his talent. And this is it's Tom's movie all the way. It's unbelievable. It does sound really dark. Is it? <laughs> it's it's very very dark, and yet it's um you end up not sympathizing with them, but you were <laughs> so drawn in to all the different characters and all the different plot lines that it does sort of fly by. All right. Okay. Double Overtime streaming on Netflix. I want to know when Netflix is going to give us some money for this show because all we do is talk about Netflix. <laughs> we talk about Netflix all the time. <laughs> and number five. Number five. The new Netflix series, <laughs> Away. Have you... Um, Oh, this is right. about Mars, right? With um, yeah, it's okay. Manned mission to Mars, which I guess you don't you have the feeling that someone's already done it. I know Nat Geo did that series. Yes, Mars. that's what I thought it was. Um, Hulu did a series with Sean Penn called The First. So I guess it's not. A, but Hillary Martian. Martian. There was a movie called Mars Needs Women, so it's been around for a while, you know. In The Martian with Matt Damon. Well, right, right. So Hilary Swank is the captain of the international crew going to Mars. And when you think about it, this is a perfect setup, right, for a series along the lines of Lost in space, right? Lost, you know, every episode you tell a different person's backstory interwoven with some kind of crisis of the week, you know? And they're on the spaceship. They're in confined quarters. It's a little bit orange. It's a new black. They're on their way to the red planet, you know, and they're all in uniform. They're in a prison in space. And um, it's pretty good. It's actually, that's the thing. I've sort of found myself thinking, um, yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, Hilary Swank actually has the least opportunity, I think, of everybody in it. She's commanding this crew, so she has to be this sort of American, heroic, she has to be God, I suppose, in Milton's Paradise Lost, and God is the most boring character, and all the others can be flawed and evil, etc. And the thing about Hilary Swank is her mouth is just so vast. I just want to see it. I can't take my eyes off it. And every time I'm watching her act, and she's a great actress, but I just keep on thinking that mouth could follow the, swallow the entire Martian spaceship. It, that, but she's got an international crew, so she's got a She's got a sort of grumpy Russian. She's got a cold Asian lady who's got a hot lesbian secret. She's got an Indian doctor. You know, it's a multinational mix-up. But James, the reason that the love interest for you is so so Hilary Swank is leaving Earth at an inopportune time. Her husband, who is also an astronaut, has just had a stroke. And that she's leaving him alone with that pubescent teenage truculent daughter and the daughter falls falls in love with a bad boy and the bad boy is played by uh, Adam Irigoyen Adam Irigoyen who um I doesn't know I think he was in the Fosters I know I'm giving it to you James okay. you can Google okay. um and he's set up as a bad boy but it turns out that he's not and he races motorbikes, but he believes in God and goes to church. And so mom is on her way to Mars. Dad's in hospital and they're trying to, like, stop their daughter from going off the rails. And um, it's pretty good. I've watched what, what, is, what is it? What is this thing called? It's called Away. 
Away. Away. Yeah, wait, people were on Twitter were talking uh, crap about it and saying that um, at any given time, she just sort of grabs the phone, like they, they start FaceTiming and she's like halfway to Mars and like he's all, like they just like can always catch each other on their Wi-Fi and like that is, well, that is life life now is like you know, you pick up the iphone and call them up. I mean, it's funny and that's because in the future they, they they've elected a democratic president there's actually progress and things so people can do the wi-fi gets better can i just ask in space are there showers do they shower in showering they have showers but one of the dramas is that the water pump breaks and they oh. got to figure out how to how to get water and they're they they've got to water the garden and uh, it's 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 really. Okay, I'm looking at him. Okay. Oh, okay. But he, actually, I think he looks a little. He remind. He's sort of got a Latin Wilmer Valderrama look. I can see a little Wilmer Valderrama. I can see him. He used to do a lot of Disney or Nickelodeon or something. It looks like he has that look about him. Lots of people said, yeah. Now I also see here um, that there's somebody. Uh, wait. James is Googling men and, and <laughs> what's going to happen. Wait, hold on. Where'd it go? Oh, yes. Um, uh, uh, there's a gentleman named Ray Panthaki who plays Ronnie Arya. Yes. So he's yes. the doctor. He's the number two. He's great. Yes, he looks very handsome as well. And there's also a very handsome British Ghanaian uh, uh, called Pato Asando, who's the botanist. So it's it's oh it's yeah, a, they see him. Yes, it's a really good. I mean, you think it would be a bit like um, paint by numbers, but it's it's really good. All right, let's take a break. Um, Blake, have you got a question? I do, of course. Um, which of these two statements about the octopus is false? The plural of octopus is octopi. Is that false? Or the octopus has tentacles? Is that false? You're listening to The Wow Report on Radio Andy, and we'll be right back with the tantalizing answer after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. All right, welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James St. James and Blake. Um, What was the question? Okay, which of these two statements about the octopus is false? The plural of octopus is octopi. Sure. Is that true or false? Or the octopus has tentacles. Is that true or false? Well, I hope octopi is true because I was referring to octopi all the way through the first segment. So I look like a complete prat if it's false. <laughs> it's octopuses. Is, is. It is octopuses. Is. No. <laughs> really? How can we been taught our whole lives? But the other one, it was a trick question. The other is false, too. They're not called tentacles. They're arms. Only tentacles are only for squid, cuttlefish, and natalises. What? Yep. Well, you're gonna have to do redo your whole damn piece. Yeah, yeah we got. We have to start again. We're uh, go I'm so excited that this show makes me smarter. Thank you, Blake. Thank you so much. Yes. All right, let's carry on with the countdown then. So, number four, Tom. Number four. Uh, this isn't not a proper amount of time to do a proper. Uh, Tribute, but obviously we lost a notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who lies in state as we record. Uh, shocking, right? You um, sad, shocking because of the political ramifications, which originally pop up. Um, 
uh, you know, as much as her documentary was out there, we knew a lot about her, like just learning about her is so amazing and her contribution, even prior to being in the Supreme Court. Um, and, and, and slightly frustrating again, life has its own course, but like she had determined, uh, during the Obama's presidency to, um, wait until what, what she presumed was going to be Hillary Clinton, the first female president to, to uh, nominate her replacement. And that was a miscalculation. So here we are in a situation where uh, we may lose a seat to the Supreme Court. But again, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I just want to list off, you probably have read these things, but if you're a woman and women's rights are, are human rights, with, you know, she was instrumental and a leading force in securing these rights. Obtain a mortgage for women without a male co-signer. Opening a checking account without a male co-signer. Start a business without a male co-signer. Get a credit card. Obtain a business loan. Obtain a job without gender-based discrimination. Obtain, retain your employment while pregnant. Obtain birth control without having to obtain your husband's permission. Not be traveled, uh, uh, not be forced to provide proof of sterilization to obtain or refrain employment because they don't want pregnant people. Pension benefits equal to male co-workers and equal consideration to be executors of their children's estates. Um, You know, you you can only hope that the good that can come out of this is that it energizes everybody and it, it gets people motivated again to to, you know, and people realize that the rights are on, on the line and everything. And, and also just that um, we need to celebrate people when they're alive and we need to, you know, it's just, it's, she was, she's a great icon for the ages and she's such an inspiration and she, for, you know, little girls everywhere. It's nice that people are hearing her story again and again. Yes. In fact, there's a new documentary about her coming out, I think, um, directed by Rita Lee Mark. Um, Academy Award winner, I believe. Um, so that's good to know because there's, there's a notorious BRBG. There's another one too, right? So there's, there's, there's at least there's, um, her memory will be uh, celebrated and recorded. And, and, you know, a great love story with her, with her and her husband. And just what a beautiful woman she was when she was younger and what a beautiful old woman she was as well. She just had her beauty about her her whole life. Has there ever been a, a, a narrative scripted drama about her life? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, about two years ago, right? Yes. Who With was that, that British actress. I can't remember. I, she was... Uh, I want to play, say the, the woman who played Duchess of Windsor in the, in the Madonna movie. <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about? I thought that was Madonna. Blake, are you Googling... Is Blake left us? Army Hammer Felicity Jones. Uh, on the basis of sex. That's right. The basis of sex. Okay. I heard one Ruth Bader story where she said that she was doing uh, work uh, before the Supreme Court and everything had about was like the sex, the sex, the sex, the sex. And her female secretary said to her, you know, I don't think you should use that word so much. She said, why? She said, because... I think the people that you're talking to are basically men and they're thinking about something very different. So the secretary suggested that she use the word gender instead of sex. Isn't that That's interesting? Yeah. Rest in power. Uh, the notorious RBG. Um, number three. Number three. 
Number three. Now, during Sunday night's Emmy Awards, I um, was, some of it landed, some of it did not land. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I stuck around long enough to see Rue win, and then I switched over to Turner Classic Movies, and I watched Tarzan's Peril from 1951. And we have talked on here before about my deep and abiding love of Tarzan movies, how they were something that young gay boys in the 30s, 40s, and 50s could be Tarzan fans and not be outed. You know, you could have a Tarzan poster in your room. You could have a nearly naked man whose buttocks were showing and his you know, nipples were flashing and his hair was flopping in his eyes and he was just gorgeous. But you could and you could talk about your love for Tarzan with your friends and, and nobody would ever know the difference, you know, know the, of what you were really up to. Um, this one is stars Lex Barker, who is one of my favorite Tarzan. He's a, sort of a California dude, and he's got blonde hair, and he talks like me, Tarzan, you, Jane. Like he sort of has like a California accent, a valley oh, accent. Yes. Um, there are some things about this one though that that sort of make it stand out from other Tarzan movies. It was the first Tarzan to actually be filmed partially in Africa. And so you have actual um, uh, uh, tribes, African tribes. You have actual actual ceremonies that were filmed. You have like the plains and the lions and and the waterfalls and everything like that. And it's a vanished Africa that was 1950. You were, I mean, that Africa is no longer around. And so that's sort of fascinating. The other interesting thing about this one is that it stars Dorothy Dandridge, who was Dorothy Dandridge, as Lena Horne called her, she was the black Marilyn Monroe. And she was so beautiful and so gorgeous. This is sort of early in her career. And she plays an African queen and uh, with a fabulous hairdo and fabulous jewelry and a little, you know, 30s outfit, you know, even though she's in the middle of the jungle. Um, But, you know, Hollywood didn't really know what to do with Dorothy Dandridge. They knew she was a star, but because it's 1950s Jim Crow era, they didn't have parts for her. There was nothing, you know, she did, you know, um, uh, Carmen Jones and Porgy and Bess later on and islands on islands under the sun, something like that. She had a few roles, but basically she had a very short and tragic career and she died very young. And this is a chance to see her in all her glory. And I think like the choice was, is if you're going to play, you have the option to play a maid in a, you know, in a big budget movie, or you can play an African queen in a Tarzan and by God, go play the African queen because it's, you know, like she doesn't have much time on screen, but when she does, she just floats off. She's so beautiful and so magnetic. And even though Tarzan is supposed to be with Jane, you can tell he's really w- wishes he could toss Jane out the window and run <laughs> off with Dorothy. Cause she's just mag magnificent. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I was just completely that I was in, in a pig in, in pig in mud watching uh, Tarzan's Peril from 1951 on Turner Classic Movies. Stupid question: Is it is it in color or black and white? It's black and white. And the TV series that was in the 60s, right? Yeah, there was. I was that the Ron Eli. Ron one? Eli. Ron yes, Eli. Ron Eli. Yes. Invested on that. They were uh-huh. in a canoe. Yes. And the the great thing, you know, because Tarzan movies and serials and everything, they always have like a snake puppet come out that's really cheesy. And they have an old like lion who's been on the MGM lot for like, he's toothless and all drugged up. And like dust comes out when they touch him. 
they have there was a, a plant a man-eating plant out of the blue for no reason that just like the leaves come and like try and devour tarzan i mean it's so silly and cheesy but like i said there's some amazing footage there of actual africa in mid-century all right so that's uh, tarzan's peril now on tcm through october 20th um number two number two raised by apes tarzan right Raised by Wolves. Oh, what is this? The new series on HBO Max. Uh, first couple of episodes directed by Ridley Scott. And boy, is this like a, feels like a sequel to the last Alien movie. Um, it's in that very sort of blue and gray palette. And basically it's um, two androids land on one of the exoplanets it's kepler 22b which is actually i believe a real it's a I've real heard of it, yeah in the goldilocks zone um which means that basically human life could life as we know it could exist there um these two androids played by amanda collin and abubakar salim who's really amazing um he's been in assassin's creed and origins anyway they land there and they are the last parents to human children. And they they basically take six embryos and ray and sort of plug them into their androidness and raise them um, because basically humanity and Earth has been destroyed in a war uh, between the atheists who've lost the war and the Mithraics who are basically, you know, the televangelist Christian evil bastards. And... They had androids, the human race had androids to do all their sort of all their chores so that the human people could concentrate on faith. And of course, the result of this concentrating on faith and being freed up from chores was a war in which all the atheist people who said there isn't a God, etc., were exterminated. And so this these two androids fled the planet and they land in this other planet and they raised six children. It's incredibly cerebral and sort of austere. Um, there's a twist because Amanda Collin, who's brilliant as the android, she discovers that, that at first they think she's just a low-grade model. She's called mother and the other android, the guy's called father. And they, the thinking is that she's just a low-grade model. But she is not. She is a necromicon type who can just raise her arms and take off into the air. And the best bit is she can like, do a little scream so you go ah like that and people just shatter and just blow up and splat <laughs> everywhere which is a neat trick to have I <laughs> why is it called raised by wolves i'm not entirely sure and i've watched two episodes i'm not entirely sure what's going on but the the mithraics are some surviving mithraics these christian people and they're a, they're a sort of they're on an ark and and they come to take the kid and they think the kid's a prophet it's all very, you know, like Ridley Scott Alien. You're not entirely sure what begets which, but it's yet to be found out. It's incredibly bleak and, bleak and challenging. Um, and I like, thought the story the order I recalled Bill Wolf and Sally Wolf. And <laughs> by the, raised by the wolves. Um, um, but do the aliens have emotions? I mean, do the androids have emotions? The androids are very sophisticated and they... They, they do have emotions, but they're not ever overtaken by their emotions. Their emotions are programmed. So he can tell jokes 
um, and they suffer incredibly, and most of their children die, um, but they never seem to lose their sense of humor or their sort of sense of perspective of the mission, which is that humanity must survive without the sort of crux of religion. And then, of course, everything goes are casting a movie about androids. You don't have to cast good actors if they don't have any emotions. Well, they are good actors, Tom, because actually they have to play machines that have a human aspect. They have to like they they have to be um, like Scarlett Johansson in her. Remember that movie, the Spike Jones film? Her voice is so. It's just that sort of that marvelous twilight zone between machine and mankind. And well, even if you think about Hal in 2001 was, you know, even though he didn't modulate his voice, he was still the most terrifying, you know, one on the, the I mean, one of the most terrifying villains of all time. That's right. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. And that was it's just fabulous. I can't let you do that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I can't let you do that. All right, let's take a break. Tonight, I got to tell you, um, Drag Race Holland episode two is airing on Wow Presents Plus here in the states. And Who's the Nikki, guest? Nikki, I thought I thought you'd never asked. Tutorials <laughs> is the guest. Um, and yeah. the funny thing about Drag Race Holland, it's translated, of course, so you can read subtitles. But it's a uh, Dutch is a really English sounding language. You know, like even though you don't really know what they're saying, you think you do, and then they. They're very nice because they throw in English words every now and then. It's like a Ridley Scott movie. You kind of know what's going on. (laughs) Exactly. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing that made us go wow this week. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James. We've been counting down the top ten things that make us go Wow. We've reached number one. Tom, take it away. Number one. Let's talk about the Emmy Awards. Um, um, Big picture, little picture. Little picture close to home is that RuPaul's Drag Race uh, had the great, great fortune of winning six Emmys. Different Emmys, different categories. And I'm probably going to mess it up. But it was uh, uh, hair, makeup, editing, host. um, 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 Casting. Casting. Casting and uh, outstanding reality competition show six. Um, it's Ru- RuPaul broke the record as with five consecutive outstanding host wins, which was previously, uh, he, he beat uh, Jeff Probst, who's an amazing, uh, on, on the, uh, the the grandfather of them all, Survivor, which is still thriving. And doesn't Ru now have more Emmys than Mary Tyler Moore? I don't know that. I'm, I'll, I'll have to Google. I believe, I've, I believe I saw that somewhere. You know, we are in. The, we are. Uh, you know, ha, we, this was our 12th season that got recognized. And years ago, a few seasons ago, I went to Rue's dressing room. I said, "Rue, do you know what?" The, it was like our 10th season. I said, "Do you know what the um, Mary Tyler Moore show is doing in their 10th season?" I said, "Nothing," because they only had seven seasons. <laughs> um, uh, I, I have to chime in here because please. we now uh, RuPaul's Drag Race is now the world record holder for the most Emmys won by a reality competition show. And there's a part two to that, which is how many Emmys do you think Donald Trump, The Apprentice won? Oh, zero. Absolutely zero. And it bugs the F out of him. I have to say, he says the Emmys are corrupt, like mail-in ballots, blah, blah, blah. But it's just comforting to know in this world 
that yes. Donald Trump won zero Emmys for The Apprentice. Here's some funny behind the scenes stuff because because the Emmys were remote. You know, a, a lot of the categories were announced during the week. Nicole Byer was on; it, she was either online streaming or she was on FXX, and finally it was Jimmy Kimmel on Sunday. So we're you know we're busy doing our stuff, and all of a sudden we'd be interrupted like we just won an Emmy, like whoa! And this weekend, I don't think I'm telling too much. Rue was shooting a commercial, and um, and found and we found out he won as host. And ran in. He's like, oh, my God, I'm genuinely happy and so excited. We had pre-taped acceptance speech, which was beautiful, and where he dedicated to Chichi Devane, among other things. And it was so funny because it was the perfect thing because he was doing, like, a commercial that involved a lot of, like, repetitive movement. Like, you know, like, bend over, you know, say say this. And she's like, oh, my God, it's so amazing. Woo! Okay, let's go back. (laughs) Your dog. Your dog. So it just kind of gives you the the full scope of the glamour of show business. That's just is like Rue doing oh, a Purina commercial. Is that what it is? It's just it's just the idea that the work is very piecemeal, and you know, it's it's not. It, it seems always so glamorous. It's just like when you're right in the middle of it. It was a fun juxtaposition. So, my then- can I ask you? Uh, can I ask you about the night, the 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 show, uh, the Sunday night show? Oh, why they had you know they you saw online they had robots and people and you know. They sent Rue one of these boxes and it came and it was when it came, you know, we're just exhausted. It's like, well, there'll be a box sent to this location where Rue will be, you know, all the nominees will get it, but only yours will pop open and give you the Oscar, excuse me, the Emmy, if you win. And we're like, oh, that sounds like such a, you know, what happens if you don't win and the box is just going to be sitting there and, you know, and uh, luckily, and, and Theron ran in and said to Rue, who was, you know, accepted on his own, and just said, oh, by the way, it's going to, they, they just warned us, it's going it, to, if it opens, it makes a big noise, you know, and so Rue's like, I got it, I got it, and then he's sitting there, you know, it's remote, it's weird, you're like, he was in front of his camera, we're kind of in the background, and then he's like, ladies and gentlemen, RuPaul's Drag Race, and he was like, oh, you know, he's, he's off, you know, a little delay, and then, pow! Right <laughs> <laughs> in the face by an Emmy, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it threw him off in a wonderful way, and you know both his speeches were about love and uh, and he really- got him. He was in drag. How? How? And that was absolutely. I was gobsmacked. He went. He was uh, outside of drag race. Am I allowed to say that? How well, crazy he, that is! He was in drag for uh, one of the speeches, but he was out of drag for Sunday night. The live thing. The other one. The other suit was fantastic. I love that suit. Yeah. I want it when he throws it away or. So the remote controlled boxes that open is a recipe for potential disaster. Like what if you don't have a signal and you can't like get the remote thing to open up at the right moment? What if you are too close to the box and all of a sudden it bops you on the head? I mean, the the potential for things to go wrong. Murdered by an Emmy, you know, like. Isn't that the beauty of of live television? Isn't that you want to have something dangerous? Aside from self-serving uh, remarks, though, it was a brilliant show, wasn't it? Like at the beginning with Jimmy Kimmel and the way Wait they- Wait a minute. Wait. Uh, I will not let that one pass. No. The bit with Jimmy Kimmel and Jennifer Aniston that went on for 45 minutes, it was, it was terrible. Oh, she's so funny. I think Jennifer Aniston is a great- Comedy gold. The way she manhandled the fire extinguisher was so funny. And the way that Finn kept on- I think- uh, Jennifer Aniston literally single-handedly saved Hollywood from a, a, a forest fire. I mean, <laughs> like a dangerous, and she was just like on it. 
I did. I liked Zendaya. I thought her speech was amazing. Yeah. I thought Mark Ruffalo's speech was amazing. Yeah. There was some. There were some really beautiful moments in it, and some really some some great. You know, and some great outfits too. Yeah, wasn't it chilling though when um um the way the the they intercut the audience from previous years with the jokes, and you were like, this is really good. It works. It's like so. How no one ever needs to go again. It can just be <laughs> every year, just the same the same crowd reaction. Right. Oh, we've reached the end. No. All right. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Wow Report on Radio Andy Sirius XM. You can listen to previous episodes on our YouTube channel, uh, Wow Presents. Um, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, be safe, be socially distanced, wear a mask, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.